Your inability to forgive someone is killing you. Literally. According to a study, living with grudges and lack of forgiveness, it's affecting your immune system. It's raising stress cortisol. And what happens is every time you remember the hurts, six months later, 10 years later, your brain can't tell the difference, so it continues to release stress cortisol. And what happens is your body gets so stressed, your immune system starts weakening, and that's why you get canker sores, you can't sleep, and you have health problems. Our inability to forgive is killing us. And so today, we need to see a key to forgiveness is to see God's perspective even in the sins committed against us. And that is where I want to jump right into today. God's ways are high above our ways. His view, his ways, his purpose is so different from ours. And so we need this reminder every day. Wake up tomorrow and say, God, your ways are higher than my ways. Just simple prayer. And so we have to do that because our perspectives can go bad. Our perspectives can get really, really bad. Even for now, you came to worship, uh, and sometimes even worship, we could get it distorted. Uh, Francis Chan is a pastor, and he shared this on his social media. One day after worship, somebody came up to him and said, I really didn't like worship today. And then he responded, that's okay. We weren't worshiping you. <laughs> and, and this is how we have our perspectives upside down. Even church, we go in there thinking it's about me. Are you going to bless me, love me, care for me, and have what I like? We need to have God's perspective in these things. And we could easily miss the point of church, this world, our lives. But especially with forgiving people, we need God's perspective. And so I want to go back to Genesis chapter 50, today's text, and just go over what happened. There's a lot of things that happened in the background. So this, if you're reading the story, chapter 3, you're already there. But just in case some people are visiting us for the first time, God wants to start a new nation, and he's chosen Abraham. And Abraham has a son with his wife, Sarah, and they have a son named Isaac. And so Isaac grows up, and Isaac is, you know, doing well, but he has twin boys, and they are Jacob and Esau. Jacob was very fair-skinned, Esau was very hairy, and so I think Koreans came from the lineage of Jacob. <laughs> so Jacob grows up and has 12 sons, and with his 12 sons, he does the worst thing a parent can do. What's the worst thing a parent can do? You have a favorite. That's the worst thing you can do because you can make other kids feel so resentful. And he has a favorite, and his name is Joseph, and he loves him so much that the other brothers, 10 of them actually, get really jealous of him, especially after he gives them like a Louis Vuitton coat or Kate Spade, or one of those things. And they're like, wow, where's mine? And Joseph, I always think Joseph, he just doesn't have common sense. So he's like, guys, look at this. This is awesome. How come you don't have one? 
And I don't think he helped himself. That's how I imagine it. Well, the family get together and they have a family meeting, the brothers, and they're thinking, how are we going to kill this brother? Let's throw him in a ditch. Let's get rid of this punk. One of the brothers gets a conscience and says, let's not kill him. Let's just sell him, (laughs) which is a lot better, I guess. And so Joseph gets sold to slave traders, and then the brothers continue the lie by telling their father, and I didn't realize how, as a dad, I understand how bad this is. As a child, I didn't realize this part. But as a father, the brothers come up to their father and say, Jacob, your favorite son got killed. Here's the ripped clothes with blood on it. And I didn't realize how bad that is. Would you ever go to a loved one and say that as a joke or even a lie? I mean, how dreadful is that? And so they have no conscience. They broke their father's heart as well as broke Joseph's heart. Joseph is sold to an Egyptian slave trader, and then he gets bought by a man named Potiphar. And this is where Netflix should do a documentary on Joseph because his life just keeps getting exciting. It's not what he had planned. But Potiphar has a wife who says, Huh, Joseph, my, my, my. Aren't you good looking? And, and everyone's blushing, and that's what happened. And so Joseph is inside this house. Potiphar wants to snuggle with him. And then this is what Joseph says one day when she tries to seduce him. She says, he says, Behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house. And he has put everything that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you. Because you are his wife, how then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God? So Joseph, throughout this whole thing, has his conscience, not just about avoiding hurting people, but he doesn't want to sin against God. Joseph has faith. Well, this angers her, you know, a woman rejected by this young man. And so she lies and says, he, tries to, he tried to molest me. And so Potiphar comes, and Joseph is thrown into prison. Joseph is blessed by God still, though, in prison. I mean, when you're in prison, life is not going pretty well. But God blessed him, it says. And so God gave Joseph this ability to interpret dreams. Just for fun, how many of you would love to interpret dreams? Like, just as a gift. That'd be kind of fun, right? People are like, I had this weird dream. I ate 10 McDonald's hamburgers, and I don't know. I turned into a unicorn. Uh, So, the ability to interpret dreams is very rare, and it's specifically a gift given by God to Joseph because God has a bigger perspective. So, Joseph understands the dream, and one day the king has a nightmare, and the king calls for Joseph. While he's in prison, some people share with the king. There's a guy named Joseph. He, he knows how to interpret dreams. And so Joseph interprets a dream and says, seven years of famine, of great blessings, will be followed by seven years of famine. Get ready. The king takes heed to that. And so thankful to Joseph, he makes Joseph number two in the whole nation. And so the pharaoh blesses him because God is blessing Joseph. 
And lo and behold, seven years pass, the famine comes, and who comes? Joseph's own family comes, and they want to bring food. They don't recognize Joseph. Joseph recognizes them. Eventually, long story short, Joseph says, I am your brother, Joseph, that you sold. I mean, just that alone, you could have an hour conversation. What would you do when the person who hurt you a long time ago comes to you unknowingly and says, I need your help? What would you do, really? I mean, you are in the place of leverage. So Joseph reassures his brothers, and then he tells them, I am not going to harm you. Bring your whole family. Bring dad. I want everybody here. And he says, let's live in Egypt. And what's amazing about this, I'll share a little more next week, is God predicted this would happen, that Israel, you will live in a foreign land for 400 years. And it's coming true. And finally, Jacob, Joseph's father, sees him. He's thankful. He eventually dies. And we're at today's story. The father is dead, and the brothers are thinking, verse 15. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father was dead, they said, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. So this is how godless people think. This is how godless people think. Ready? People who don't have God, who don't have God's perspective, this is how they think. You hurt me, so I'm going to hurt you. That's humanity in a nutshell, without God. You hurt me, I hurt you. And Joseph's brothers were still thinking so worldly, they're assuming Joseph is thinking the same thing. We hurt him, dad's gone, he's going to hurt us. The brothers still don't get it, and I think that if they were in Joseph's position, they would not have forgiven because they're so grounded in this worldliness. So we come to this part, and I want to focus on just three verses. In verse 19 through 21, Joseph responds with three words, and I just want to use them as the keys to forgiveness. How was Joseph able to forgive his brothers? And in them, there's something very practical for us to live by. So here's the first one, verse 19. Can we read it together? Do not fear, for am I in the place of God. The first thing Joseph says to his brothers to reassure them that I'm not going to hurt you back. You hurt me, but I will not hurt you back. What Joseph is saying here is there is one judge there is one God, and Joseph says something super obvious that we need to say every day. It is, I am not God. I am not going to take the place of God of judgment and wrath and bring that upon you. That's not my job. See, one way to define sin is this. Sin is taking the place of God. Can you say that? Taking the place of God. Sin is that when we live in a way where we take God's place, we want the worship, we want the power, we want the control, we want to do it our way, sin is that sin. We push God out and we make it about us. 
And so in vengeance and vindication, we take God's place. You hurt me, I'm going to get you back. So Joseph would have committed even a greater sin than his brothers because he is taking God's place. Sin is always putting ourselves and replacing God. If you go back to the garden, this is what the serpent said to Adam and Eve. The serpent says, God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened. And look at this. And you will be like God, knowing good and evil. He's not saying sin. He's saying become like God. And they were so tempted by that, they sinned. And when we take God's place, we are immediately blinded. We go from God's perspective of seeing things to sitting on the floor and we don't know what's going on. We only see this lower story, so everybody's just hurting each other, so I'm going to hurt them back. And we don't know the full story of what God may be doing. And that's what it looks like when we take God's place. So Joseph's brothers, their sin was violent and ripped the family apart. And they were trying to be their own God. There was no love. They wanted to get retribution, but Joseph does the opposite. When someone sins against us, I think the first thing we need to say is, am I in the place of God? I've been hurt, I've been the victim, but am I God? God is still most important. And so how do we avoid taking God's place? Just, just a few things here. How do we avoid taking God's place? One, we leave the judgment up to God. Doesn't mean what something happened to you was okay. Doesn't mean that. It means, God, in this, I'm going to leave this judgment on me, this, this cruelty on me. You are God. You cannot let this stand. I'll let you handle it. Two, I think what we're doing here, we need to be in worship. How do we know God is God and we're not God? No one's here to worship us. <laughs> we are here to worship God. So we bow at his feet and we humble ourselves and say, God, you are God. And lastly, in all these things, am I in the place of God? What do we do? Because God has forgiven me, how can I not forgive you? This is how we avoid being God. And Joseph's first line again, am I in the place of God? Do not fear. Second thing he says is this. Verse 20, let's read it together. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. Here's the shift. Here's Joseph saying, I'm starting to see from God's perspective. Joseph is saying, ultimately, this story is not something you are going to be the author of. Even in your sin against me, God is the author of my life. What, I mean, that's a powerful thing here. Because some of us, we live like Batman. We, we, we love Batman because Joker killed his parents and then he, Batman became Batman out of that suffering and his identity became this vigilante. That's great and all, but that's glamorized. You do not want to be a new identity defined by those who have sinned against you. Your identity has to be formed by who God is. And the author of our life is Jesus Christ. We are not going to become the reaction of what other people did to us. You have to let God define who you are in your heart. 
And Joseph is saying, you meant evil against me, but God is the author of this life. So three times in Genesis, we read this. Joseph, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39, 2, verse 21 and 23. The Lord was with Joseph. What is that saying? The sin of Potiphar's wife, the sin of his brothers. In all these things, God is still the author. Hallelujah. No matter what trials and hardship comes, he is still in charge. The brothers acted in evil, but God was rewriting that for good. That's what our God does. God was preparing Joseph for something greater. So he was using these terrible incidents not to say, you know, it's okay, but he's saying, I'm going to refine you, Joseph, because your purpose is going to be in the future. And so think about this. I th this was a brilliant insight by a, by a pastor. Selling Joseph not only fulfilled Joseph's dream, but God used this betrayal to bring salvation by getting Joseph to Egypt. Now, God, why couldn't you just relocate Joseph? We don't know. But he was using the sins of his brother to bring about good. Some of you are here today having had hardship and pain in your life, but there might be a gladness that that actually refined me and brought me here. The reason why our family's in California was not because we threw a dart and said, Southern California. It was through a marriage that was breaking down. It was through my sins. It was through toughness of life. And through that, I said, God, why would you put us through this? Why would I, where would this life go? And God would use that to keep moving us to his great plan, no matter the evil. This is our God. He is so merciful. And what God is doing with Joseph is, you, your brothers meant it for evil. I'm going to bring it for good. And so we could trust God. We could bring our hurts to God and say, you are still the author of my life. Lastly, he says this. Joseph says, he brought me here to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. Joseph realized God used every pain in his life for salvation of others. He said, this wasn't about me. It was about the world. And one of our members this past week at Legacy Luncheon shared one of my joys growing up was when she lost her husband, she was able to use that experience and that moment so that when other women in her church lost their husbands, she called them out for lunch and said, Let, we're going to meet together. I want to walk with you. And this is the way that God uses our pains to bring blessings and wholeness to the world. And Joseph is saying, God, I see your perspective. I didn't go through this pain because you hate me. You brought me through this so that save salvation will come upon other people. And so Joseph has acceptance and joy because his painful journey was for the salvation of others. He continues, so do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. I mean, that's amazing. He looks at the brothers in the eyes. He says, I'm, only, I'm not only going to be nice to you. I want to take care of your children as well. 
I mean, this is grace upon grace. Thus he comforted them and spoke to them kindly. What does this tell us? Did Joseph forgive them now? He's forgiven them a long time ago already. Forgiveness was already done. And so Joseph knows God's plan for salvation. Joseph knows how God works. And because of that, Joseph was able to bring all of this about. So as we go into this, how do we live? How do we live today, into this today? And I think one of the things we need to say is, one application is, your lack of forgiveness is killing you. And every single one of us in here may have a grudge or may have a resentment towards something. And it's, it's an everyday battle to say, God, I'm going to place this in your hands. I'm going to say, you are God. I am not in your place. I'm going to say, you are the writer of my life, not these perpetrators. And even now, even through this pain, you can bring blessing through this pain for other people. So I am not going to be God. But how shall we live knowing that our God works this way? We live with confidence that despite what we can't see, God is always active in a bigger picture. Like the kids who were sitting on the floor, they couldn't see the writing. And those above can see it clearly. We need to see God's perspective. Even when it seems like we're at a dead end, to say, you are good, and you are God. The ultimate upper story of this ends with this. Jesus was beaten, tortured, killed at the hands of evil people. And you all know the famous saying as he hung on the cross, what did he say? Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do because they live in this lower story of godlessness. But I see your plan. It is finished. Let it be. So that sinners would be saved and redeemed and forgiven, that though humans meant it for evil, God meant it for good, and Jesus, a sacrificial lamb, could be the savior of the whole world through the scars on his hands. This story is not just about Joseph, but Jesus is a true and greater Joseph. And so how do we live? Let God be God. Live freely forgiving and giving grace because we have been recipients of this amazing grace from a God. We're going to sing a song in a little bit. And before uh, Bill gets up, I'm just going to read the words. How deep the Father's love for us. How vast beyond our measure. That he should give his only son to make a wretch his treasure. How great the pain of searing loss. The Father turns his face away as wounds which mar the chosen one bring many sons to glory. That through the pain of one, he brings glory to us all. Let's pray. Lord God, may we look at this story not from afar, but each one of us, we play the role of both Joseph's brothers as we sinned against people and we've been Joseph being hurt by people. In all these things, God, this day, may it be 
just clear and confirmed in our hearts that you are God. And you are a God who knows pain because you came as a baby to die on the cross, to rise again. And so, Lord, would you bring about spiritual healing as well as physical healing? Would you also bring about relational healing amongst our family and friends, neighbors, and even strangers? May we be people who live with constant forgiveness and grace, not because we're weak or we're pushovers, but because we have a God who gives us his incredible perspective. We lay it at your feet, Lord. In your son's name we pray. Amen.